1: I think it's very similar to the first game. You know, you want to look at guys in a competitive situation. I, I can tell you this is no scheming whatsoever against a specific opponent. When you're in a meeting and you're showing the videos of every single penalty that we had last week, you know we're probably going to show them again this week. So unless you want to be in there, and I'm sure you can ask those guys, probably what not the most comfortable situation for them. That's something, an area we have to definitely improve in.
0: Expect more of ourselves, of our teammates, but you know we have to move on, and we got to worry about the guys that'll be playing on Sunday for us, and we got to lock in and take care of business. Bills coach Rex Ryan and uh, center Eric Wood there on the uh, on the sound. Welcome in to WGR Sports Radio five fifty Saturday morning. It is Bills game day, and a a new era of Bills game day starts today as the Bills unveil. Uh, new Era Field, uh, formerly known as Ralph Wilson Stadium. Now New Era Field, so a new era for uh, for Bills football begins this afternoon. A 4 p.m. kickoff start for the Bills. Pregame here on WGR starts at 2 p.m. Sal Capaccio will be along then. And then it's uh, Bills game day with uh, with Murph and Mark Kelso starting at 4 and Matthew Collar and myself will be here for post game after that. So we've got a full day of Bills football. So be excited as I am. We've got some good things to talk about, obviously, today as the decision, or as I called it, VZ Gate uh, finally uh, came down yesterday. Jimmy VZ deciding to sign on with the New York Rangers. So we've got some things to talk about that today. Brian Koziel, who was just on uh, T to Green this morning, he'll join me at 9 this morning uh, when we start to break down the decision that VZ decided yesterday, as Brayton alluded to in his update. Yesterday afternoon coming down, um, there was at at first thoughts that uh, this decision could potentially be pushed off to today. However, it wasn't, and he decides to take his talent's to Long Island, I guess, right? I mean, or the, the borough. Big apple. The big apple. We'll call it the big apple. I like that, Brayden. Um, Madison so,
1: Square Gardens in the middle of New York City. Where yeah, are you getting the idea that it's, they're in Long Island? It's,
0: it's technically the island, right? No. No? I don't know. I've been, I don't uh, think Manhattan's considered
1: the island. It's not? I don't think so. I mean, if somebody is
0: from. Well, he's in the that boroughs. Area and- oh, well, no. If somebody's from that area, they would have butchered me for saying that. But I'm not from there. I just I, I, I kinda congeal the, the long island in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and I just kinda congeal that all together and that's that. Brooklyn's on Long Island.
1: So the, so what the is Islanders technically still
0: play on Long Island? Well yeah no I know, but what is technically then Manhattan? Because it's just across the Manhattan's Manhattan. So it's, it's not considered it's, a part of Long Island?
1: I don't think it is. Like I am not going to say We yes need somebody no we need
0: somebody from New York City to call in this morning 803-0550-the is the number 888-552-550. If you're from Long Island for instance, but uh before we really get into VC, we will get into VZ Talk really in the second hour. We've got uh the noted jerk. Uh Joe Yarden, he'll be on this morning uh at 9:30 after Brian comes on at 9. Uh, so we'll have a, we'll dedicate our whole second hour to the VZ decision. But what I want to talk about to start today is Bill's game day. Some guys that I'm really going to look forward to, to looking at this afternoon. I won't be going to the game. I'll be uh, watching the game at home for the first half, then probably headed back to the studio to watch the second half of action. There's some guys that have really been showing up in camp, and especially after last week's game. I got to see some of the action after some unforeseen incidents that I just couldn't make it to the first half of the game. Um, And I watched a little bit of it, and I was impressed by a few guys that I really want to go into detail today, a couple, three or four of them that I see really making an impact today and potentially earning a spot on the roster. Yesterday, if you missed the uh, night practice on Thursday night, Sal Capaccio has his Practice notes and, and training camp notes up on WGR550.com. So if you want to catch yourself up, Jared Boykin had himself a nice little practice Thursday night. So uh, check out some of the players that Sale uh, put together on his, uh, on his notes for Thursday night's practice. Yesterday they had off. However, uh, there was uh, some news that the veterans have been holding player only film sessions uh, on off days and after practice. And You know, I think this is really starting to stem from the leadership role that Tyrod Taylor has really assumed on this team. Brayton, I know you've, you know, you've, especially in hockey, you see the importance of veteran leadership. But you see the importance of, and at times, Brayton, you know too, that... It doesn't necessarily have to be "quote unquote" veterans that take over a locker room. I mean, look at and I'll use hockey as an example. When you look in Colorado now, this may not be a great example because you know they've got a lot of issues going on in that franchise right now. But Gabriel Landeskog, I mean, he's the youngest captain in NHL history. Well, was was named the youngest captain in NHL history. So it doesn't necessarily need to be those veteran guys that have been around the uh, the league for a long time. And in Tyrod's cases, he's going into his second full season as a starter, and I think. If you've been to practice and and everything you've heard from from general manager Doug Whaley and head coach Rex Ryan, is that he's really assumed this this leadership role on the team, and so far I think it's starting to rub off on the team.
1: It's what you expect out of your quarterback. Yeah. You want them to be a leader. I mean, you look at some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Tom Brady, he's a leader. Peyton Manning, he was absolutely right. a leader. You look at those type of quarterbacks and that's what you would really, really expect. And with Tyrod Taylor, I think that when he assumed that role, he wanted to become that. And he made the suggestion, Hey, do you mind if I hold player meetings right. players meet players only meetings and, you know, we go over more tape than we do with you, Rex and You know, they gave them the okay, and they've been doing that. And then then it's kind of carried over. I mean, guys on the offensive line are holding their own meetings and watching tape. Guys on the defense are doing the same thing. It's become a contagious thing, which is a very promising thing to see, especially out of, you know, with Tyrod Taylor starting to do it. And then you hear all these other guys saying like, well, you know, Tyrod started this and, you know, we have our own meetings as well. Like, I mean, I think who was it? It was one of the. Uh, one of the offensive linemen on the John Murphy Show last week or the week before that came on, and they were talking about how great you know Tyrod was at getting that all started and then you know they started having their own meetings and it's it's sort of been contagious for the bills, and that's a promising thing to see. I know that people have been really super critical of how the bills have right. handled this off season yeah. with some of these really bad. Uh, Issues on and off the field. However, if there's one thing that's really promising is, you know, kind of tying into the continuity thing is seeing Tyrod Taylor become this leader, seeing these other guys take leadership initiatives, and you know, having these player media players only meetings. And it's really great to see the Bills actually doing this for once. After for many many years, it just seems like the team kind of just, I wouldn't say didn't care, but they just didn't kind of went with the motions. Yeah. And, and and an interesting thing, and
0: I don't think you you purposely said it the way you did, but talking about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning being great leaders. Now, when you're in when you're in, especially in professional sports, but it's really across all sports, you look at the captains and you look at the leaders of football teams. Typically they're your best players. You know, you don't really have the role player as a guy that's gonna be your leader and your he's just he doesn't garner, he doesn't demand the respect of the team like some of your best players do. And I think now, in his second year, after proving last year that, yes, Tyra Taylor's definitely a starter in this league, I think that's that's unquestionable. Then you have him this offseason coming into offseason workouts and being the first guy in, the last guy out in the conditioning test, being, you know, beating the receivers and the skilled position guys. I think those kinds of things demand the respect of other veterans, but just the the team in a, as a whole. So, yes, I think you're right. I think that he has really kind of separated himself on this team as the unquestioned leader. But I think it's because he's one of the better players on this team. And I think the players on the team have really started to take notice and really start to notice him as not only their captain and their leader, but as one of the best players on this team. And let me tell you, Brayton, I don't remember the last time that this team's had a quarterback be one of the best players on their team. And say what you will about E.J. Manuel when he was in his rookie season in first year, he was never really able to take that role because he wasn't able to demand the respect of his teammates around him with his play. And yes, Tyrod has done that with his play, but he's done it with his actions on and off the field. And and to me, it's an impressive thing to see a guy who is a sixth-round pick, who you know sat behind Joe Flacco and still had demand when he came on the market as a free agent a season and a half ago. You know, the Broncos definitely turned the wheels on on him. They wanted Tyrod Taylor. Now, imagine if Tyrod would have went to Denver. Do you think that he would have had an opportunity to play last year? I think probably. Over I, Brock Osweiler. I think so.
1: I would I would say yes. I'd say there was I think a good so. possibility. I, up,
0: up until really last year, there wasn't a lot of talk about Brock Osweiler being even a, a remotely viable option for the Denver Broncos moving into that season if something were to happen to Peyton Manning or you know I don't really think people saw the decline of Peyton Manning re- I didn't think a lot of people predicted that now we saw him take a significant step back the year before but I don't think people saw him struggling the way that he did last year especially in the beginning of the season and then you know coming in after Osweiler and and doing better but you know, Osweiler wasn't a guy he was big. You know, that was his claim to fame is he's a giant six foot seven guy with a giant arm and Yeah, you know, but his
1: giant arm was just he had such an awkward
0: way of throwing he, you're it when he right. came out of college. You're right. And it, it was it was Paxton Lynch esque, and, and now they've got Paxton Lynch, another big guy, but he's raw as well. And Osweiler was very raw coming out of Arizona State. I remember watching a lot of him, and he just didn't impress me in college. And you know, when you play in the, in the Pac-12, you're playing against some good teams, not necessarily great defenses, though, and he's never really stood out against what I thought to be a mediocre defensive conference when you just have a lot of offense in the Pac-12, you don't have a lot of defense, and... So for me, I think Tyrod Taylor probably would have had an opportunity to play at some point last year for Denver, but he decides to come to Buffalo because he knew he was going to have an opportunity to s to, to fight for that starting job. Where I think in Denver, I think everybody knew that Peyton was going to be the starter going into the season unless something happened, you know, where an injury as as is, is what happened with him last year and then Brock stepped in. But the Tyrod Taylor talk is is interesting moving forward, and we're going to continue to watch his development and you know, you can pay attention. I'll, I'll be putting out weekly film studies on Tyrod Taylor, on Buffalo Rumblings, SB Nation. So you can, I'm hopefully going to be starting this weekend. Um, if we get all of the resources that I need to have done for it um so you can you can check that out i 'll have that on a week to week basis for you guys, breaking down kind of the best and the worst of his games um each week, so that 'll give you a better idea of his progression and, and that 's what i 'm excited to do is really dive into his film study, really see his progression on a week to week basis and you know is this someone that 's getting better every time he goes out there, or is this someone that you know? we've seen the best of and i think that's really the jury out on tyrod taylor is have we seen the best or is this guy going to continue building as a 27 year old i mean that's the question and and we'll see and, and i don't i wouldn't expect to be able to tell you that after tom- after tonight's game um but i think after week 5 or 6 you should have a good idea of whether or not this guy is continually getting better on a week to week basis 803-0550, the number 888 I'd like to hear your opinions today. I'd like to hear who you guys are watching for in tonight's game. Uh, Is there a defensive player, maybe an offensive player, someone that uh, maybe we're not talking about that you're paying attention to uh, that you would like us to start talking about? I know for me, um, one of the guys that has really kind of been talked about since Aaron Williams went down is Duke Williams. Um, You know, a guy that really struggled to me in the past, his first couple seasons, and I as I looked at his game last year, I was just concerned, and I was I was worried every time he was on the field. I just felt like every time he was out there, he had no idea what he was doing. I mean, just look at some of the film last year. There's GIFs all over the internet of him just getting chewed out by players on the field, you know, telling him where to be, and when you're in the NFL, it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter your talent level, if you don't know where to be, and you can't be in the right position to make plays. there's no spot on the field for you and now i I started to see a little pattern with with Duke here, and I look back at his rookie season when Mike when Mike Patton was the defensive coordinator for this team, a pretty similar defense to what we're now seeing in the Rex Ryan defense now it's not the same, but they're they're similar principles as you know Mike Patton is a Rex Ryan disciple, and to me. He goes from that 3-4 Mike Patton, Rex Ryan scheme to then having in his second year Jim Schwartz come in and basically switch up his entire, his entire knowledge of what he thought he had to do to be successful in this league to then, well, now I need to do something else. I've got a new defensive coordinator just for him the next year to have to go back to the Rex Ryan defense, which if you remember a lot of people talking about last year is it was very verbiage. It, it had a lot of verbiage. It was convoluted. It was confusing for a lot of these guys that started out that, you know, they were used to the success they had under Jim Schwartz, and then all of a sudden, they've just got everything switched out, and it's an interesting thing to see him in his second year, finally, his second year in a system start to stand out as one of those guys that, hey, maybe this was a guy that's just struggling with continuity and consistency because he didn't have that consistency in the coaching room, in the film room, studying the same film over and over again. Now this is a guy going into his second year. It's very similar to the Tyrod situation, if you think about it, and the offensive side is he's going to have a second year in a system that's very quarterback friendly, in a Greg Roman system. Now he's going to get that continuity, that consistency of uh, of basically looking at the same film, looking at the same playbook on a year-to-year basis, and I think that is is super important. I think it's it's underplayed as an importance in this league because you have to think about some of the... I mean, this is the NFL. You know, you, these systems aren't Bubblegum 101. these is as, as, as a famous Charlie Weiss quote, Bubblegum 101. You know, these guys, these aren't little league, these aren't high school or college offenses. These are legitimate legitimate professional offenses that you need to spend hours, days, weeks. And now they're proving years to really know these defenses and offenses inside out. And if you're unwilling to spend the time in the in the weight room and unwilling to spend the time in the classroom to learn and really just dive into this stuff, you're not going to be successful. And I, now I'm not suggesting Duke Williams was a guy that wasn't all in and, and wasn't really putting the time in in the film room to be successful. But I can tell you this is coming from a high school to the college game. And and, I, and especially at the quarterback position that I played, you know, the verbiage, the, the amount of time that you had to put in and the speed of the game is just totally different. And if you're Duke Williams, you're coming from a Nevada program that, yes, you know, they're a Division One program, but it's not one of these top high-end programs where you're seeing pro-style offenses on a day-to-day basis. You're seeing a lot of simple one, two, three read offenses in these quarterbacks. Now you go to a system where you're playing defenses like quarter, quarter, half, and you're playing all these confusing, all these very it's much more, it's dumbed down in the college game, and it has to be because you have guys who are only there for four years. In some cases, you have guys that the best players there for two or three years. So you can't have these super complicated systems and expect a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid to fully grasp and understand them in the time that these teams have to really implement their offensive and defensive schemes. So for me, you go from a program like like Nevada, and then you're drafted in not, not a first or second round when you're Duke Williams, and you're the third, I think he was a third round pick, and you go into the, then you go into a, a professional camp for the first time, and you're learning a complex Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin scheme just to have that switched the next year to another pretty complex wide nine scheme in, in Jim Schwartz's scheme. So to me, I think the consistency here and and being his second year in Rex Ryan's defense is really why you're seeing Duke Williams stand out in his second year under Rex Ryan. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do because Aaron Williams now in concussion protocol, we still don't know what his neck and how his neck is going to respond to real, full contact football come week one. Now... We can assume and we can hope that Aaron's going to be fine and he's going to be good to go. And I think he is going to assume he's fine and good to go. But he doesn't even know until he takes that first hit. So, to me, it is only good news that you see Duke Williams standing out in not only practice, but the preseason as well. I mean, I noticed a lot of him last week. And and, and even in Joe B's breakdown on WKBW, uh, Joe B breaks down... Um, in his in his recent article I read yesterday, he breaks down Duke's game and why he thinks he's doing well, and and maybe he's he's gotten over the hump, and he and that's what I think here is he's just gotten over that that young player hump, and this is why the NFL is so frustrating to me, Brayton is sometimes and maybe not sometimes I think. 75 to 80% of guys that enter this league are never given a full opportunity to develop. A lot of these guys need three or four years to really develop and understand the pro game. And they're just not given that opportunity because it's a win-now league. What have you done for me lately, league? And if you're not contributing and and being a guy that can help a team in your first or second year, typically you're put in the rear view and you're never able to really put film. uh, You're never able to put... Anything significant on film for another team to say, hey, I see potential in this guy. You know, I'm going to give him a shot. So after your first opportunity and you can't show that you're a legitimate NFL player, you may never get an opportunity again. And now, is that fair? I don't think so. But it's just the nature of the beast. There is guys. The nature that, of the game. It is. It's tough, though. It's tough to see young guys not get an opportunity because they can't show it in the year one.
1: And it's not like it's it, it's not like the Bills have a minor league system to no, play these guys. No, and the there. NFL doesn't, and that's the one NFL of the issues. It, and that's maybe something that should be considered by but, the NFL maybe in the long-term future? I mean, like, obviously you can't do anything right now. I mean, now, you had but.
0: NFL Europe, and you had guys like Fred Jackson who had an opportunity to go develop his game, a D3 player, go develop his game in NFL Europe, come back, and look, he has a great career for the Bills, and you're right. Look at the NHL. They have, when you draft a player, you're almost expecting, unless he's the top one, two, or three picks, that that guy's not helping you for two or three years, and if he does before that, it's like a... it's you know, congratulations. We didn't expect this from right. you. This was unknown. Hey, we'll take it. I mean, when you look at the Sabres, I mean, Sam Reinhart when he was drafted, Perfect he played the example. First nine games. And Perfect we example.
1: saw he was not ready to play, and everybody wanted him to play, but right. he was obviously not NHL ready. So he went back to juniors. He worked his tail right. off. And then when he came back last year for development camp and training, they camp, still had the opportunity to send him
0: the AHL if they wanted they to as well. Have. Right,
1: they could have, but he he proved showed, it. He showed enough that he developed and he was physically, mentally ready to go. He was caught up and he played an outstanding rookie year last year with Jack Eichel. Not only that, but I mean, you see some of the other guys in our system. Justin Bailey was having a great year in Rochester. Came up, had a really good few games with the Buffalo Sabers. Didn't score any points, but that's fine. That's not we didn't really expect anything to really come out because Justin Bailey is still relatively young. And this year he might have a legitimate chance at making the roster. And we'll talk a little bit about more later, but with the NFL, it, I totally get what you're saying because guys like Duke Williams, luckily he's been around here. He hasn't been cut and people have been harping like, you know, Duke Williams last year, he was really, I mean, he was completely lost and people were saying, well, there's maybe a chance that he gets cut never did. And now, and I agree with you, last week against
0: the Colts, he looked really good. He, he made- was in position to make every play and and you're right, and I think something key that you said is the, is the physical aspect of this game. This is the most physical sport, the most physical professional sport, but across any level. And for me, I know when I came from high school to college, that transition, unless you are an elite an elite player, that transition is a very difficult thing to do as a young man, like as an 18-year-old to have to learn. And, and and you have to learn that game. And the same transition exists when you go from college to the pros. And expectations, Braden, I think are the reason that a lot of guys fail. Look at, look at Tyrod Taylor. He was a six-round pick. I would say there wasn't an expectation in the world that that guy was going to be a starting quarterback in this league or have to have to contribute. Who
1: expected Tom Brady
0: to right, do anything? Right. And he when you don't have that expectation, that is a luxury to not have that expectation and be able to develop under someone that knows how to do it. And Tyrod got to do that. He got to spend his first 3 or 4 seasons under a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Now say what you will, Joe Flacco may not be elite, but he is a good starting NFL quarterback and he I think, learned under a great head coach in John Harbaugh. And these are just things that I think, aren't really awarded to these young players anymore. You have to be one of the lucky few to be drafted late or be an undrafted free agent and just have somebody say, you know what, we're going to bring you along slowly. You're going to learn the game. And that's what I think the Bills are trying to do with Cardale Jones. And that's why I'm excited about the prospect of Cardale Jones because he's not expected to come in here and be the guy right away when he's just clearly not ready to be. All right, 803-0550 is the number. I know it's early, 830. You're probably just waking up. You want to listen to some, uh, some Bills talk. We're going to continue with the Bills talk this hour. And then as I mentioned before, we'll have Brian Koziel on at 9. We'll talk about Jimmy VC, And then uh, we'll have Joe Yurden on at 9.30 to continue our Vesey talk later. So, uh, So stay tuned here on WGR. Right now, the schedule, we were getting, we were finishing up around 6.45, 7. And uh, I went to a couple of the veteran guys on the team. And I was like, Man, how do you think the guys would react if we had players only meeting and basically just talked about the practice or whatever you want to discuss. And we was able to get that going. And it's worked out very well for us, especially I controlled the skill position um, on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, we basically watched a couple periods of the, of the practice the day before. And just to get on the same page and just trying to talk through different routes and make sure everyone is out there just openly communicating. And I think it's it's definitely worked for us on the field, and you can see guys paying attention to detail once we're out there. Bills quarterback Tyrod Taylor talking about uh, what we were talking about a little bit in the first segment there is some of the uh, player-only film study meetings they've been holding after practice and on their off days. Uh, Just stuff that I I, I think are really adding to what Tyrod Taylor has brought and why I think the Bills felt so comfortable extending him the way they did is, you know, at first, and and a lot of people were talking about, you know, Doug Whaley's, you know, in January, his thoughts on signing Tyrod is we need to see more. We need to see more. And, you know, he's only played 14 games. We need to see what he can do more on the field and improve and be able to throw over the middle. But I think what they saw off the field impressed them more than – any prospects they could see on the field in the coming season, and they wanted to lock that guy up. And and they did so in a way that protected them. And obviously we talked at length about that last week, and I don't want to dive back into it because I could just go on all day about it, so I don't want to. But uh, what I do want to continue talking about is some players to watch for tonight. We talked about uh, Duke Williams at length last segment. I'd like to continue on the defensive side of the ball and talk about a player that I'll tell you I didn't think – I was even going to hear about this year, and that's uh, Keevan Seymour, uh, corner out of USC, uh, drafted in the sixth round, one of their Bills' final picks, really showing out in training camp so far this season, but also had a very good first preseason game, and now he's going to get an opportunity this weekend, tonight to be exact, to play the nickel corner role with Nickel uh, Roby-Coleman, injured his ankle earlier this week in camp, so he won't be playing tonight, which gives Seymour an opportunity to play the nickel role, which, if you've been paying attention, he's mostly been playing that outside corner role and I think this is only going to benefit him if he shows out well tonight and shows he can be versatile enough to play both outside and inside. And and I think that's kind of an unspoken thing with cornerbacks in this league now is they're really one-dimensional. And and teams want guys to get comfortable in either one side of the field or on the outside or the inside. And that's just sort of the way the league now goes. When you look at Revis, I mean, Revis Island is Revis Island because he sticks on one side of the field and you can't throw his way. So... I think it's interesting to see what this kid can bring, and I think it's also going to be interesting his development this year and whether or not the Bills feel comfortable about signing Stephon Gilmore. Is, is if this guy is really developing well, and he's really showing out not only practice, but he's showing out in games and can show that he could be a viable starter for this team, I think that that is the most important thing in the NFL nowadays is finding guys that you feel comfortable enough to move some of your best players. I mean, the Patriots are historic for this. They do this all the time. They've done it. Bill Belichick is is famous for it. Just and the one that really pops up in my mind is Lawyer Malloy. You know, in I think it was two thousand one. I think so. When Lawyer Malloy got cut from the Patriots, he came to the Bills in the end of the I want to say end of training camp. The Bills go into New England, or I think it was home, and they beat them thirty-one to nothing and everyone's like, oh, well, they shouldn't have cut Laura Malloy. Well, it turned out just fine for them afterwards. But it's just one of those things where you really have to develop guys, and they can't just be your first and second round picks. You need to find a couple of those diamond in the roughs. And say what you will about Doug Whaley, what I think he's done a great job at is drafting and getting guys who contribute to this team that are not the top two, three picks at times and have had guys later in rounds you know, be successful players. Now, Chantrell Henderson's one of those guys. Now he's been injured. He's been with his with his Crohn's disease, hasn't been able to really contribute this year. But, I mean, I think we all thought big things of Chantrell after his first season and, and what he could be capable of moving forward. But, you know, obviously that's kind of out, out the window now. But, you know, for me, Kevon Seymour is a guy at a position that this team really needs, I think, someone like him to step up, you know, and be that guy and be someone that they could count on. To play not only, like I said, that nickel role, but that outside role. If, if you know some of these guys need to blow during the regular season, it's tough to have and expect some of these guys to play every down at the outside corner position. It's a tough, tough position to play. And he's just one of those guys that have stuck out to me. But what I want to do now is kind of move over to the offensive side and talk about a few guys that, to me, have really stepped up their game um, that maybe we weren't talking about. And one of them is Cyrus Quanjo. And I know. Cyrus Quando, right? Like what are you talking about, man? Well, all you got to do is watch a little bit of Cyrus during practice. The guy looks way, way more comfortable. And what I'm going to attribute this to is now it, it, it almost doesn't make sense, but him moving from the right side to the left side, he almost looks at home on the left side. He did, he looks more comfortable, his drop step it, it's a weird thing to, for these offensive linemen, especially on the right side when you consider in the league your you know your blind side left tackle. In most cases, obviously, if you're a left-handed quarterback, your blind side is your right side. But there's not many left hand quarterbacks in the league. If there's any, I don't think there's any starting quarterbacks in the league that are currently left-handed. So all of them are left tackles. The left tackle is considered to be the more athletic, to be considered the best player on your offensive line. And your right side is considered to be more of a run, uh, you know, more of a run blocker, less athletic, can't move as well. So typically you're putting some of your best pass rushers against that right tackle because they're a little bit slower, a little less athletic. What Quanjo, I think, has struggled with is showing that he's even athletic enough to play on the right side. But then you move him to the left side where he is used to playing. He played at Alabama. He was their left tackle in Bama. I think he looks more comfortable over there and I think because of that comfortability level that he's had on that left side, you can see him kind of get into his comfort zone and, and and be someone that this team could say, "Hey, thank God this guy's coming around. You know, we spent a second round pick on him. He just wasn't proving to be anything of of substance for this team and man, is he going to get cut? Is he going to No, I think this guy's really starting to show that maybe he could be a swing defender a, a swing lineman for this team. Maybe a a sixth or seventh offensive lineman, a guy that can come in and Again, come in on off on, on goal line situations and come in for that sixth offensive lineman and be that guy. And, and if you know Greg Roman's offense and you watched a lot of it, you know that he loves to use that swing man, that, that sixth offensive lineman to act as almost a, as a tackle-eligible guy, as a, as a tight end of sorts. He's he's historic for using that. And to unbalance lines and stuff like that, and, and if, they, if Quanjo can show that versatility, He's going to make this roster and I think he's going to be a guy that maybe finally turns his game around and comes around a little bit for this team and I think that would be a real big thing and another another just diamond in the rough kind of guy that that Doug Whaley was able to find and most people when at draft time consider Quanjo to be a first round talent and, and he just never ended up showing out to be that way and you know his brother is a heck of a talent as well and he obviously comes from a great program so you expected big things his rookie year but you could tell that uh, his game just didn't transition to the NFL i think the way that a lot of th- a lot of i know people in the bills organization thought it would but you know fans as well and and so that's a guy to me on the offensive side that's really stuck out as a guy who's definitely improved in the offseason but the guy that i really have have focused a lot of my attention on and someone that i think has an opportunity to make this team is Walt Powell receiver um, he's one of those guys, he's a speedster, he's not big, um, he's not overly athletic, but what he has is some tremendous, tremendous burst and, and short quickness. And what I was impressed with last week during that preseason game, and on that last dra- on the last drive specifically, was his intuitive nature, just knowing where to be and which zones to be in and which windows to, to have Cardell find him the ball, but more importantly... Make the play when he's given an opportunity. You look what happens in this league if you can't make the plays when you're there. There are guys in this league that know where to be to make the play but can't make it. Perfect example, I think, is Leonard Hankerson. And he's now off the team because of that. He knew where to be to make the play. He just couldn't make the play. And there isn't, I think, there isn't enough value in a guy like Walt Powell who can contribute on this team in special teams. And a guy like Walt Powell, to me, and I've been saying this for a few weeks now, is these receivers, the depth of this receiver position, I think, is better than I think a lot of people originally thought. With Greg Little showing out during camp and Des Lewis showing out, and and you have guys like Marquise Goodwin, who I think is I think has planted himself as the number three receiver for this team. But to me, it's interesting to see this receiver position play out because a guy like Marcus Easley, and that's what I was alluding to, is I've been saying for weeks, is this guy's roster spots in jeopardy. He can't get on the field. He's still injured. He really only contributes on the special teams side of of things.
1: I mean, he's only got three catches in his career.
0: Right. One of them was for a huge touchdown last year against Jacksonville. Yes, but you're right, Brady, and he's only contributed three catches over the course of his career. And yes, there's no question that he was paid pretty well to be that special teams guy. He had a gruesome leg injury last year to expect him to come back to form this year i think's unfair to him but to be honest with the depth that this receiving core has shown in the in the training camp and first preseason game guys like Walt Powell i it's going to be tough to to find a spot on this roster for for Marcus Easley it really is and you look at it, guys there's no way they keep seven receivers there's no way they keep seven receivers and they also keep Jordan Gay and they also keep a fourth tight end. They just there are only fifty three spots. I just don't see one of them going to a guy who hasn't been able to play yet.
1: Not to mention that you also have a pretty good depth at running back. You do
0: that, and I think you also have to realize too that they're going to keep four running backs. And then week four comes or week five comes around, and Carlos Williams is back. What do you do? Do you cut potentially one of these four running backs, or what if one is showing off? On you know, what if you what if you decide that you want to keep a guy? Like
1: I mean, you could practice squad maybe one of them. You'd have to obviously probably put them through – I mean, my guess would be
0: put them through waivers. I don't know that any are eligible for practice squad. Jonathan know, Williams, maybe? Okay, Jonathan Williams is practice yeah. squad eligible. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so that maybe is a guy that – and that's what to me is an interesting thing is what if Jonathan Williams then shows he's a very capable – Special teams play. He,
1: he had a couple of nice runs the other he day did. against he did, Indy. and
0: obviously, I think Gillislee has that second or third back locked up, mm-hmm. and it's that fourth back that's in flux right now. But I think the 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 scales are tipped towards Jonathan Williams. I don't know. I just there are a lot of questions at some of these final positions on these roster spots, and a guy like Marcus Easley, as much as you like him and what he can contribute on that special teams, look, you brought Colt Anderson in as a guy that is going to contribute basically just on special teams. I don't think he's really going to contribute at the safety position, but I think that they have plans for Colt Anderson to be on this team specifically for the special teams role. And now, with the emergence of Duke Williams, I think it makes it even harder for you to say, we're going to keep a seventh receiver or a fifth running back. Or, you know, when you have guys step up at other positions, it makes it difficult. I I think now Duke Williams has made himself a roster spot. I think he's played himself onto this roster as a fourth as a fourth safety, but I think Robert Blanton is a guy who's also a, a third or fourth safety. So then what do you do with Colt Anderson? He's a special teams guy and he's probably one of your special best special teams players. You can only have so many guys who are just exclusively on special teams. So a guy like Easley who is injured, hasn't been able to get on the field, I don't see a spot on him for this team. I just I just don't 803-0550, The number we are talking Bills training camp. We are talking Bills game day today, week preseason week two. New York Giants four p.m. kickoff right here on WGR. As I mentioned, two p.m. Eastern following Sports Talk Saturday. Sal Capaccio will be on for pregame. It goes right to four o'clock, which will be kickoff with Murph and Markelso right here on the radio home of the Buffalo Bills. So we'll talk a little bit more. We'll wrap things up next segment with a little more Bills talk. And then it's VC Watch. Well, that's over with. It's VC Date now is what, I, what I'm going to call it because it's uh, not, not as though it's a scandal. But I think for a lot of Sabres fans, they're pretty disappointed in well, what It could happened.
1: be a scandal if somebody decides to put tampering charges mm-hmm, against
0: the range, Which we're going to talk about, I think, as well. So we've got VZ coming up. We've got more Bills here right on WGR. I know from an offensive point of view, we're daily striving to get better. I know as a team we are, and you know it's funny. Like once you hit the field or once you hit meetings, that kind of stuff doesn't come up and it's not addressed. We're not in there making excuses. Hey, we got to do something special because we're losing these guys for the first few games. We just got to take care of our business and roll with the guys we got. Bill Center, Eric Wood, there, talking about uh, some of the recent uh, off the field issues, obviously with the suspension of Bill's defensive tackle, Marcel Darius, which uh, just got beaten to a pulp this week. That's why I'm not really touching on it. I I have no no opinion that hasn't already been just beaten to the ground. So uh, it is what it is at this point. You're obviously missing your best player for four games. What I will say is the reduction of Le'Veon Bell's four-game suspension to a three-game suspension interests me a little bit as to the appeal process for Marcel Darius in this case. uh, They were basically from what... From what I know and from what I've come to learn is that they were suspended for the same thing, missing either one or multiple drug tests. So if that's the case, they both have been suspended before, not even for the same thing. To me, Marcel Darius should have his, his games reduced at least by one to a three-game suspension.
1: It's it's kind of amazing that if you miss a drug test, they take that exactly as the same as, oh, well, you were you were smoking weed, so four games for you. And I... And I I get it. I get it, but the fact is people again, people make mistakes. It happens. They things get missed. I mean, people miss people miss other things like they miss payments on their credit cards. They fall behind and everything. It happens. It just it's a natural thing. People forget, tend to forget things. Now, with this whole Darius thing though, it just still Completely baffles me how the NFL takes into account how much they do suspend their players for certain things. Because with the substance abuse policy, I know it's Darius's second suspension. But four games for for a second violation, yeah. I mean, and again, we we touched about this a couple of months ago with, we did. with the policy we of... Did you know, banning players from marijuana use, right. it's much more better than using over the counter stuff. It's I agree. way safer. It doesn't kill you. That's one thing. I agree. Not only that, but it does. It's a natural help. It's a natural remedy. Yeah. It's a natural mm. remedy. Thank you.
0: Holistic. It's a holistic remedy. No. And dude, I know. And, and we've, we, we could beat this to death and I have, you know, uh, it's, it's just to me, it's, it's head scratching. It's,
1: it's what you call beating a dead horse. It
0: is, and you know what? it's unfortunate that we're at this we're at this point as a society where you either believe in it or you either you know, you either think and, and you support the, I guess integration of metal, marijuana just as itself into society as something that and the DEA just doubled down on it saying it's just as dangerous as heroin, for God's sakes. Like how far how disconnected can you be? Our own government it's just disconnected. Has no idea. We're stuck. We're stuck in Reagan times, where, you know, everybody thinks that marijuana is this gateway drug that's gonna—that's you smoke it and it, it dry and makes you crazy and makes you kill people. It's not bath salts. It's marijuana. Uh, like I said, I could uh, I could talk about this all day, and it, it is just it is unfortunate. It really is because we've gotten to this point in society where we should be we should be educated on this thing we should be other sports leagues have figured it out the nba has figured it out they've decided you know what we're going to let our players decide the olympics have decided that you can do what you want on your off time but when you're here it's business don't smoke weed but the nfl they can't figure it out the highest grossing league in professional sports can't figure it out can't get it right but the olympics they say ah as long as you're not smoking before your events before you, as long as you're not smoking while you're here to do business who are we to judge what you do the olympics the world games has figured it out but the nfl They're suspending... And you know what it is? It's hurting their product. You suspend guys like Le'Veon Bell. One of the most exciting players in the league. Now he's missing time because of what? Because he missed a drug test. Martavis Bryant is one of the most exciting players in the league. And if he was on that offense with all of those guys together, you're talking about maybe the best offense in football. Nope. He's out for the season. Josh Gordon. Maybe could be one of the best receivers in the league nope hurting your product you're hurting your own product by being ignorant about the topic what they need to do is hire somebody they need to hire an expert to tell them that wow you are dumb you are behind the times figure it out 8030550 is the number. We're switching gears here now. Second hour. We're going to talk about a little bit. Jimmy Veezy. We've got Brian Koziel up next, next segment. Uh, we're gonna get his thoughts on his decision. But not only does his decision, you know, what is next? Are the Sabres content now? They were clearly trying to better their roster by adding Jimmy Veezy. With that out of the window, do they now turn their attention to the remaining free agents? Which there isn't much. I'll have Brayton go through some of the free agents that are still available when we come back. And we'll also talk about maybe there's a trade now in the works. Maybe a guy like Zemgis Gergensen and, 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 and Evander Kane are now on the market to try to improve this roster. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, eight hundred three hundred five fifty. the number, 888 550 2550 We are talking Jimmy Vesey here next on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island